Oh, yes, let's thank him here today. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. How excellent is his name in all the earth. Praise the Lord who is like our rock. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. He's my buckler, my shield, and my stay. My exceeding great reward. What a wonderful God we serve today. Amen. You may be seated. Once again, it is so good to be here in youth camp. And I want to especially thank Brother Kerr and Brother Burgess for making themselves tools in the hands of God and bringing such tremendous insight and help and edification, warning and everything else that the Word of God is capable of doing, which covers all facets of everything that we need. And uh, that's been going forth here, and I want to especially thank them for their endeavor. And this hadn't maybe youth camp that I've been preached to here. Praise the Lord, and I really do appreciate it. And to Brother and Sister Bowling, we love and appreciate these people. The more I'm around, Brother Bowling, the more my esteem and appreciation of him continues to heighten. And uh, I really, really am glad that God uh, made it possible that our paths crossed here not too long ago. But during that time, we have learned to very uh, much esteem him and love him and his wife. And you are blessed young people to have this kind of leadership. And uh, also those of you that may be from Brother Lee's, they just don't come any better. Cream of the crop, Brother and Sister Lee are uh, some of my favorite people. And they're just, uh, when you say Christian, that's what you see. And uh, we highly appreciate them also. And to you as young people, thank you so much for your participation in the word of the Lord. Because the word of the Lord will prosper in the thing where into he hath sent it. And we will not return unto him void. Aren't you glad he sent it to you? But there has to be a reception there to receive it. Not everybody receives it. But those that do, God has a way of transforming our lives. Now, if you take your Bibles and we'll stand here today and go to Jeremiah the 18th chapter, I'm going to uh, be dealing with a subject that I have taught uh, several times, as a matter of fact, uh, in the past, and uh, but I really felt directed in this direction today, and uh, I want to obey the Holy Ghost. Jeremiah chapter 18, the 18th chapter of the book of Jeremiah. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Rise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. The vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Notice verse 5, especially the first verse word of verse 5 then everybody say then 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 the word of the Lord came to me saying O house of Israel cannot I do with you as this potter saith the Lord behold 
As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. Let's back up and let's notice the emphasis here in the reading. It begins by saying the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there, if I say there, there I will cause thee to hear my words. The next two verses tell of his eventual coming to the potter's house and the things that are going on there. And uh, you must realize that from the end of verse 2 to the beginning of verse 5, no doubt a lot of time has transpired. He was sent to the potter's house, and he said, There I will cause thee to hear my words. And then you have verse 3 and 4 that there is no voice of the Lord. God is not saying anything. And it's only at verse 5 that after this verse 3 and 4 intervention and insertion here that it says, Then word of the Lord came unto me, saying. And from that, we learn a vital lesson. And that is that uh, God has several ways of instruction. Not all the things that you will learn of God will you learn right here. Or even from just the preaching and teaching. But life is going to teach you a few things. But if you get the preaching and teaching right, you'll get the life lesson right. You miss the preaching and teaching, the instruction that comes from the pulpit, then the realm in which you live, which is not inside the church house, but it is in the world, but not of it. In reality, in real life, you can pass the test with the instruction that you receive from the Word of the Lord in the house of God when you are in what we call real life. Praise the Lord. I uh, uh, have used this little title because it's kind of a play on words. Hopefully it'll help cement a little bit of what I want to say to you here today by its title. You've often heard about people spinning out of control. Things just get where that they cannot be handled. Things are just flying apart. Things are coming loose at the seams, and it's going from bad to worse. Well, we're going to reverse that today because as Christians and as Christian young people, you need to learn that God has a way of spinning you into control. But you're going to have to spin. But he'll be spinning you into control, not out of control. But you've got to learn that or you want to understand the spinning. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us here again today. Lord, we thank you for the graciousness that you have bestowed upon us. For the word of God may dwell richly in our hearts by faith, and that we may walk in the way that pleases you, and to do your will above all things. Bless each and every individual. Under the sound of my voice today, that somehow a lodging place, a birthplace may be taken in their hearts and lives of the principles of the things that you have given unto us. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I think I had mentioned the fact that when you read the Bible, don't read it like you read anything else. Read it studiously and read it slowly because 
every word is vital. And many times we can skim across things. Matter of fact, through many of the years of preaching and teaching and hearing people preach and teach, I've seen over and over and over again verses that I've read hundreds and hundreds of times. Somebody extracts something from a different view that I had never perceived before. We're not just hunting something new, but I'm just telling you the Word of God is unlimited. It has the ability to fit every facet of your life. Everything about life is covered in this book, either by direct statement or by implied principle. But it does cover everything about life, and that's where we are, is in life. And that is what is vital about the Word of the Lord. And so in reading through this, this uh, few verses that I've read to you here Today, six in number, there's a whole lot of things that are transpiring in this. First, we get the uh, indication that God spoke to Jeremiah. That tells us he knows the voice of the Lord. He understands the voice of the Lord. This is not the first time God has spoken to him, but he recognizes God's voice. It is not a strange voice to him. My sheep know my voice, and another they will not follow. Praise the Lord. And so Jeremiah is associated with the voice of God. He knows the voice of God. He knows when God is speaking and when God is not speaking. And this prophet, which we many times refer to as the man that wept much, and a man that had such a message for Israel that was disregarded by them. But he continued to be faithful in his delivery of the word nonetheless. But here, in the midst of his instruction from God, it says the word came to Jeremiah saying, and this is what God tells him, Arise, get up, is the first word of the instruction. And then he tells him that he is going to cause him to hear. Everybody say hear. Hear the word of the Lord. And then the next thing it says is not, now here's what I want to say to you. Kind of strange that God says, I want you to hear my word and then completely doesn't tell him anything except a place to go. And there, he says, I will cause thee to hear my words, implying the potter's house. There I will cause thee to hear my word. So Jeremiah, no doubt, arises, gets up, makes his way toward the potter's house, and he is more ears than he is eyes because he is attuned to one thing, to hear what God has to say. And so he is more sensitive with the oral uh, uh, environment than he is with the seeing environment. And so he goes to the potter's house. We don't know how far that was away. But it took some time to get up from the house and go to the potter's house. He's following the instruction of the Lord. And I believe that if I know human nature, when he got to the potter's house, the first thing he does is listen. Right? Because there. Why can't you just tell me here at the house, God? Save me a whole lot of running around. A whole lot of journeying here today, if you just tell me right here. But he says, there I'll cause thee to hear my word. And he obeys that, and he gets there. And I believe that it was just natural for him to, he's not uh, so much uh, looking at the visuals that are around him. He's not paying a lot of attention to the actions that are around him. He's at the potter's house, and he's listening. And he listens, and he listens 
and hears nothing. Maybe backs himself up against the wall there and uh, as time passes by, how much time that is. Let me tell you something else in this story. The potter that is spoken of in these verses, I don't believe he has an inkling that he's part of the situation between Jeremiah and God. He's just a potter doing what potters do. He's just a man making his livelihood. He's just a man making the vessels that he does every day, day in and day out in his profession. God hasn't told him there's a man coming down the road that I'm going to teach him an object lesson and here's what I want you to do. I don't believe the uh, Potter had any idea what Jeremiah's doing there. He might have wondered what this guy's doing propped up against the post in his building, not interested in buying anything, just kind of listening. But he goes on about his business and probably forgets Jeremiah. And Jeremiah listens for a while, and then after a while, he begins to take in his environment. He becomes a little more eye than he is ear now. He's not all ear now. Now he's turning to a little bit of the visual. And he begins to notice things about him, the people coming in and out of the potter shop, the lined-up vessels on the shelves that are for sale. But uh, like, again, human nature is, movement is where the eye goes to. You glance over the steel pots and the, things that are just sitting there and the movement in this shop is the potter and his eyes fall on him and begins to watch him as he goes through a procedure of making vessels and he begins to uh, reach into that vat where the wet clay is dipping his hands into the water and then putting a wet piece of formless blob of clay upon the spindle wheel or the tread wheel of the potter's craft. When he slaps it down on top of it, he begins to propel the table with the pedals, and round and round it goes. the expert hands of the potter begin to fashion and begin to form as only the potter can do. And he begins to make a vessel. Jeremiah now caught up probably more eye and very little ear because now he's just watching with curiosity And he watches as the potter goes about his business. He watches a tremendous transformation take place. From that ugly lump of clay, something beautiful begins to be transformed as he watches. And he pumps the pedals and round and round spins the table, the clay spinning within the artistic hands of the potter the gifted hands of the potter, the very expertise of the potter is applied to it. He is applying pressure without, and a lot of people don't uh, catch the other part. To make an outside, you got to put inside pressure. The hand has to be, one has to be inside and another one outside. And depending on the pressure applied between the two determines the shape that begins to form. Can't do it all just on the outside, but you got to have inside and outside pressure that's being applied. And he knows when to apply this here and that there, and the vessel begins to be formed. And then all of a sudden, he notices the look on the potter's face. Maybe frustration, maybe disappointment. 
his feet ceased to pump the pedals. And now the vessel slows until Jeremiah can see the problem. The vessel has an obvious mar. An air pocket, something foreign that was in the clay that was only revealed and divulged by the master's pressure inward and outward that finally showed it up and it came to surface and there was a marred vessel. I don't know how much time now this this man has put into this vessel. I don't know how long he spun that table and, and how long he has worked on this particular piece. But when he sees it's marred, he doesn't do patchwork. He doesn't say, well, good enough. But when the table has stopped, he simply mashes it back into the same crude, ugly lump that it was, removing the foreign material, pressing out the air, and now here we go again. He's spinning it back, not out of control, but in control. But it takes the spin to get the control and get the transformation. He's spinning it into control. And this time, throughout the whole process now, and he finally finishes and releases the pedals this time, there's a beautiful vessel that has been formed. He takes it off, and it'll go to the next process down the line. How much time's passed? Who knows? But I'll tell you what, I believe it was several hours at least between arise and go to the potter's house. And there I will cause thee to hear my words. And this space of how much time this is, of the actions of, of life in a potter's house, nothing has been said, nothing has been spoken to Jeremiah by God. And then you get to the next verse. As soon as that vessel was finished, all of a sudden, then the voice of the Lord came unto Jeremiah, saying that what you saw this potter do, you go tell Israel that I can reshape them. Even though they are marred, even though they have transgressed, I can make them whole. I can make something beautiful out of something that was disfigured. I can change the whole thing, but I don't do patchwork. I don't just pass it off and say, good enough. We're going to get it right or we don't do it at all. And he said, that's the object. But the whole thing I'm trying to get over to you is this, that that uh, from the time of, of preaching sometimes, many times we uh, get into the fault, I think, of thinking that just uh, 15 minutes in the altar and then that's all there is to it. But there's a life out there waiting on you. Sometimes you don't get it all done right there, so to speak, as far as everything that needs to be done. God sometimes is going to let life give you some spin. But he's not spinning you out of control. He's spinning you into control. God knows what he's doing. There's many times. One thing about uh, being uh, in the age that many of you are is that life has so many questions. It has so many things yet unexplored. There is an exploration age that comes in your age. That's part of growing up. It's part of going into adulthood. When you get a little bit older, that the things have been pretty well explored and you're supposed to be refining them. But in the exploration age, you have to be extremely careful because you can get in wrong areas of exploration. And so God, in the midst of making you what you need to be with sometimes, yes, young people have trials, Yes, they do. There is, I believe, with every age, uh, there is a, a certain spectrum of, of events that are kind of uh, made for that age, that is set 
for that age group. That's their old people don't get to the place where they don't have any more trials. But they may be a different type arena than what you know in. But it's still on the table. We're still spinning into control. God knows what he's doing with you. Amen. Don't let the devil tell you that it's out of hand. Amen. Things are just getting where you don't know what to do and don't know how to figure it out. When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do, and that's go to church, pray, worship, and get a hold of God, and you'll always know what to do. Even though sometimes that what appears frivolous to one may be a vital weight to another. That's why many times young people feel like the older people don't really grasp the significance of what you're going through sometimes. We've been there, done that, and got several T-shirts. Nobody's making light of your particular young person type trials. But what you got to understand is God knows what he's doing. And to make the Christian out of you that he's wanting to make out of you, you're going to spin sometimes. You can't just remain an ugly glob on the table without the spin. And the master's hands, once the master's hands begin to apply his craftsmanship in your life, you'll see transformation like you won't believe. You'll see God forming in you and externally in your life events and things that you never thought possible. But God knows what he's about and what he's doing. Praise the Lord. But you must understand that the transformation requires the spin. We want things done speedily, quickly. Life, a whole lot of times, don't, doesn't give you that prerogative. The quality of your life is made up out of, believe it or not, what you believe. If you want to improve the quality of your life, the more you believe the right things, the better quality your life's going to be. The more base your thoughts, the deterioration of the quality goes down likewise with it. That's why that preachers and your pastor strives to try to save you from some things, but we can't spare you from it all. There's going to come spend time for you, whatever that may be, because in the transformation process, there is something that just, as one fellow said, one thing about life is that it's just so daily. It just keeps on coming, and it does. There's a lot of things you can postpone. Eventually, you may have to get to some of it, but you can't postpone living. And there's a tendency sometimes in us to want to just uh, push the button and just let it all evaporate. But that's not the way it works. You're going to have to live through some things. You may have to cry a while, but joy is coming in the morning. Praise the Lord. You may have to hurt a while, but I'm telling you, it'll be better when you stay with the spin and keep the master's hands uh, on the outside and within. Praise the Lord. That when he knows how to apply the pressure both inwardly and outwardly. This is not all an external situation. Yes, we are to dress right. Yes, we are to adorn ourselves in modest apparel and all the other things. Ladies not cutting their hairs, men keeping theirs cut. Amen. All those things that are, are so quality about 
the fullness and purity of life. But there's something else that goes on in this, and that is that inward hand of the Holy Ghost in your life. That's why you can't live for God without the Holy Ghost. You can't just live on an external experience. You gotta have the Holy Ghost in you. If you have not that spirit, you are none of His. But only when you can feel His hand on the inside, when you can feel in the midst of your trials the exacting pressure of the Holy Ghost in your life, you know the Master spinning you into control. Not out of control. Praise the Lord. I don't know whoever, uh, I know it's in the Constitution, but I beg to differ with it in one way, and that is that one of the inalienable rights is the pursuit of happiness. Maybe that's the right term because you just got to chase it. But the main objective of your life, believe it or not, is not just so you can be happy. If you can get it out of your mind that everything about life is just to make you happy. Because there's a lot of events in life that's not going to be happy at all. And if your main objective is just to be happy, you're going to fall out when you get unhappy. But you know, happiness can be a selfish thing. Because for you to be happy sometimes may make me unhappy. Because hmm? it can be very selfish. But happiness is not the goal of your life. The goal of your life is to hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. The thing that you're supposed to be looking for is to realize that you're in this race to win this race. As uh, was spoken here today, that marathon runner, that your objective is to make the course. And sometimes that course includes a little bit of spinning that we're not really interested in. We don't want we want the victory, but we don't want the thorns that go along with the rose bush. So people start living a commercial relationship with God. You know what a commercial relationship is? It's one of those uh, type deals that if God will do this, I'll do that. I don't know how many bedsides I've been by, and people said, if God will heal me, I'll serve him, only to see that if they did get healed, they never even showed up at church because they had a commercial deal. with That ain't the kind of deals you make with God. The kind of deals you make with God is this, that whatever comes and whatever goes, I'm living for you. Whatever transpires in my life, you are first and foremost in my life. You don't make these deals with God that if I'm going to be unhappy, then I'm out of church. Dragging your chin through the carpet all the way up, trace, you can find the very pew you're sitting on by following your jaw track. What you need to do is realize, hey, there are some times when you may have to wipe away a few tears uh, and you may not be understood and you may find a little loneliness in your life. But let me tell you, God knows what he's doing. And in the midst of the pressure he applies, if there's any impurities, he will cause it to surface. That's the objective. It's not only to make you something beautiful, but to get everything out of you that's not like him. They asked that old Indian that made those uh, cigar store Indians. Maybe you've seen standing out. And somebody said, how'd you, how'd you make that Indian out of that big log? How'd you do that? That's really good. He said, not hard at all. You just cut away everything that doesn't look like an Indian. And that's what God does. He cuts away everything. It doesn't look like him. But to do that, you've got to take the spin. And it's in the spin that a lot of folks lose it. It's in the spin that a lot of young people just cash in. Praise the Lord. But we're not in a commercial relationship with Jesus. We're in a very solid relationship how many times you hear the expression about life's not fair and you're right 
It's not. But do you want God to deal with you on fairness alone? Hmm? Do you want God to exact everything to a, to a law of fairness? If he did, this place would be empty today. And we'd all be breathing hell's hot air because we all deserved to go to hell. It was only fair. But God, while he's a just God, life can be very unfair. And you'll learn that. That sometimes you do end up on the short end of the stick. Sometimes people do seem to abuse and get by. And sometimes that you're hurt and nobody seems to care. That's just part of life. But God knows what he's doing with you on the table. If you can let him keep peddling it and keep spinning you, he'll spin you into control. Amen. He'll begin to fashion you into something. I like that song. It said he made something beautiful out of my life. I like that scripture that says that he'll give you beauty for ashes. You know what ashes are? That's the end result of something it used to be. That's something that's burnt down to nothing, not worth anything. He said, I'll take all that, that uh, huge mound of ashes and give you beauty for it. Now, you can't beat that. Amen. That God that can transform ashes into beauty. Praise the Lord. And that's what he does with your life. He'll make something beautiful out of your life. But there's a devil that's wanting to mar you in every way he can. Amen. To bring that type of, of degradation into our lives. No, life's not fair. Praise the Lord. I like the book of Job. First off, I like it because of its name. Not Job, by the way, but Job. You know why I like it? Because it's the book of Job. It's because it's one single, solitary guy. It's Job's book. It's about Job. One thing you learn about God is he is, while he's not a respecter of persons, he is a very individual God. Nobody here, believe it or not, nobody here is just a number. Nobody here is lost in the crowd. If he knows every hair that's on your head and every thought that you think, whether you, when you get up and when you sit down, I'm telling you, he knows you all together as yourself. That's why when you go to an altar, you don't have to feel like that somebody can outpray you or that they're more effective in the ability to get God's attention. You are an individual in God, and he focuses on you, believe it or not. Amen. While you look like, and the devil tries to convince you, nobody cares, nobody's looking, you're lost in the midst of all the situation. There's a God that says, you're the apple of my eye. That means his focus. His focus. So it's not a matter of what circumstances come in life. It's a matter of what you do when those circumstances come. Nobody, nobody can ever cause you to be lost regardless of what they do to you. Nobody can cause you to be lost. We become lost in how we respond to what others do to us and what we do to ourselves. So God, when, when life sometimes looks like, man, you just can't, We'll join the club. Book of Job, God is a God of, of the individual. But do you realize that in the book of Job, there are more than 300 questions? More than 300 questions asked in the book of Job by Job. Over 300. You know how many of those answers were brought to summation and an explanation? 
by God of those 300? Next to none. In other words, Job asked a lot of questions that God didn't give a full explanation for. You better learn that it's not always that you get a full explanation. You just keep walking by faith. I don't know if you drive an automobile or not, but if you do, and tonight when you get ready to leave this campground, let's just say that you're on your way home and you live 25 miles away, so you go out and get in your car and pull the light switch, car started, you got light for 25 yards. It's all that's shining. You can't see your house from where you are. You sure ain't shining on your front porch from here, 25 miles down the road. So what you do is you just fall out on the pavement and start in a fetal position and start sucking your thumb. And somebody comes by and says, what's wrong with you? I got to get home, but I only got 25 yards of light, and I got 25 miles to go. Well, they're going to do one of two things. Either laugh or go call the paddy wagon to come get you. Everybody knows what you do. You get in the car, and when you move the car, you got 25 yards of light all the way for 25 miles home. You just keep going with what you got, and you get there with light to see. So when it is that when you come to church, if you ever needed to hear from God, that's why a pastor strives to give you principles of life. But, but let me tell you, he doesn't live on your doorstep. He doesn't follow you to work and all the rest and, and ward off all the, the, the bad things that come your way. There has to be in you something that realizes the Word of God can give me victory in life that I live every day. In many places, church becomes the only place that they think they need to be churchified. But this Word of God was meant for your whole life, not just for a few moments. Praise the Lord. Now, if you were really, uh, I believe every parent strives to do this. I know we did. I know probably every other parent does. And that is try to make it better for your children than what you had it when you grew up. But we're very limited. And to sometimes, because we love them, you try to keep certain things at bay. But there are just so many things that you can do that with. There's other things that you have no control over about being able to keep them safe. If you wanted to, if you were God and wanted to show your love to humanity, you had that power, what would you do? Take away every evil thing? Take away all the hurt, all the pain, all the things that deprive us, hurt us. And let me just give you a little illustration. Here's a little Timmy. He just learning to ride his tricycle, brand new tricycle. He goes out on the front porch on the sidewalk and gets on his tricycle and makes his first excursion pedaling uh, madly down the sidewalk, gets to the end and turns too sharp, and over he goes, skins his knees, skins his nose, and comes in the house crying, hurting. And you say, what's wrong? And he says, the mean old sidewalk hurt me. Well, you know what you do being a good parent? You get on the phone, you call the heavy equipment rental place. Y'all got a dozer I can rent? That's what you do. And they said, yeah, so you have it brought to the house, you crank up that dozer, and you doze that mean old sidewalk out of the way. Won't be nothing here no more to hurt you, baby. Won't get rid of that. 
getting rid of the mean old sidewalk. That's not what you do. You kiss away the hurt. You bandage them up. And you explain to them, life will have a few falls. And you're going to hurt sometimes. But what you do to master the sidewalk is learn how to ride better. You learn how to be more careful on it. We can't move all the old mean sidewalks out of your life. We just got to help you master what you're on. Let me tell you, life out there, we can't take all this away. Nobody can do all that, and God didn't choose to do it. But what he did choose to do was give you the ability through preaching and teaching to give you the ability to master life, believe it or not, to master the the, the lonesomeness, to master the bitterness, to master the, the heartaches that come into your life that God gave you, the word of God that somehow will give you the ability to walk on the mean old sidewalk and keep on trucking. You can't go out there and barricade the road in front of your house just because your uh, Johnny boy might run into the street. You can't do that because cars are a threat and cars are a danger. What you do is you teach Johnny there's certain laws about living. And there's certain laws about streets and, and that there's a carefulness and a, uh, a something you've got to be able to observe and look at and know that this is the way you handle yourself around it. What we do is teach you the laws and teach you the precepts of these things. But when you get out there, you've got to apply them for yourself. Amen. You're getting to the age where that you've got to start doing it for yourself. That was a time they put the bottle in your mouth and changed your diaper and all you had to do was sit there and coo. But you ain't there anymore. You got to do a few things for yourself. That's why you worship. That's why you pray. And you also can live victorious in Christ. Because the same Holy Ghost he gave anybody is the same Holy Ghost that young people have. It's not a different, not a different version. It's the same Holy Ghost that comes into our lives. So you don't just remove the mean old sidewalks. Praise the Lord. You don't uh, develop a fearful and pessimistic attitude either about life just because there's some hard knocks out there. You realize you're, you're so much better off than your cohorts in the world. They don't, they don't have the type of understanding about life that you gain from men like your pastor and from the Word of God that puts into you the ability to understand things that they don't understand. That's why they don't understand why you live like you live. Do what you do. Because they'll play in the street and get run over. And they'll, they'll go shoot up drugs because they feel like nobody cares about them. And they'll blow their brains out because nobody loves them. Aren't you glad you've been given a chance on the wheel? But here's what I'm trying to tell you is that life in itself, from this pulpit on Wednesday night, whenever you have service Sunday, when you have service, the biggest part of your time is spent. Do you understand the analogy here at the potter's house? In real life. And God has a way sometimes when the trial, maybe not in it, but at the conclusion of it, then the word of the Lord came. You'll be able to stand and testify and say, you know, the present suffering is never enjoyable. But oh, when he brings it to conclusion and you see what he did in your life and realize you're better today because of it. You feel the inside touch of the Holy Ghost? I thank God for his external provision and pressure. But the older I get, the more appreciative I am of the hand within. Very few people ever look in a vessel. Did you know that? It's the outside that people look at and observe and, and become awed about. 
Very few people look at the craftsmanship of the inside. But there's where the master's real talent is. He can bind up the brokenhearted. He can give you a touch like nobody else can. Nobody can touch you like Jesus can. You've never had a better friend. You've never had a better counselor. You've never had a better guide than Jesus Christ. Let's stand, would you please? So life sometimes, God says, you know, the preacher will preach sometimes, Brother Bolin and Brother Lee and his other men will preach messages sometimes that, that are not so much historical for your life. In other words, things that you've already done, things that are already part of the past of what you've been caught up in. But preaching many times is also prophetic, reaching into the future of things that you've not yet run into. But I'll tell you this, God knows how to set some posts out there ahead of you that when you get there, it'll say, remember, I knew you was coming this way. That's why I had the preacher preach that. Thank God for God's man that has a heart. For the people of God. I would like to just say this before I close here today, and that is that we take a lot of things for granted just as matter of fact sometimes. As long as the parents are buying the clothes and food and all that. Just something that is there and provided, right? And we can become that way about a lot of things in life. This camp alone, do you realize it was devised with you in mind? Didn't have to be. It'd be a lot easier and a whole lot less expensive not to do it. But you're counted as such value that every dime and everything that's done was meant to aid you in your life and your walk with God. And I think that's commendable that somebody cares that much about you. Amen. I would that we just, I know we've been a little slow-paced here today, but that's the way I wanted to go. Amen. Let's pray and ask the Lord to somehow help us stay with the spin. You're not spinning out of control, young people. God's spinning you into control. As Brother Bowling comes here today, would you pray that in your trials and tribulations and the life when you can't understand, that you'll say, God, I know you know what you're doing. I'm staying with the spin.